Right, the subject uh, is now the Song of Moses. Uh, we're going to chapter 15 of Exodus. It's a while since we, uh, we were in Exodus. We had a bit of a, let uh, me say, deviation. And now we're, we're back, back to the people of Israel. Just as a, a recap, I'll, we'll do a reading. Um, I'll just, um, just to get us back in the mood or back in the position, the children of Israel, if you remember where we were up to, um, had gone through uh, the amazing um, um, experiences of seeing the power of God and the plagues in, in Egypt. They had been released by Pharaoh uh, and taken in by the leadership of the cloud to the cloud of uh, the pillar of cloud in the daytime and the pillar of fire at night that led the people of Israel out of Egypt up to the Red Sea. And then they had the miraculous uh, experience of seeing the Red Sea part for them to go through. And now they're on the other side and they have just witnessed the desolation of the enemies of God, which were the Egyptians, Pharaoh's army, when the sea came down over them. So let's just we'll read a couple of verses in chapter 14. So uh, chapter 14, verse 13. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you will see today, you will never see again. And then down to verse 29. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry land with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. So we go on to chapter 15. We'll just read the first 21 verses. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the water piled up. The surging water stood firm like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. 
Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. In your unfailing love you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terrors and dread will fall upon them. By the power of your arm you will be as still they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, O Lord, until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, your hands established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them, but the Israelites walked through the sea on dry land. Then Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. I think it's important, I think, just to maybe try and get into the, when I say the mood, uh, the thought process that's necessary to try and envisage what the people of Israel were actually thinking at this time that caused them to sing this song. This is referred to, in my Bible anyway, as the song of Moses and Miriam. We don't really know whether it was a song that Moses um, prepared before the event or whether it was one that he very quickly put together with Miriam maybe. Uh, But it seems very clearly that it was an expression of how they were feeling as they stood at the side of the Red Sea and having watched the waters um, coming back over their enemies, the Egyptians, and maybe thought back over all the power of Almighty God that their hearts just oozed with uh, this feeling of exaltation towards God. That uh, it was as if they couldn't contain it. It's the first time in Scripture you actually read of a collective singing collective praise to God and this is what God was aiming for this was what God had in his purposes was a people and here they were free from their bondage standing there having just experienced the might of God and they just exploded in praise I think you know That, when we think about it, uh, is something that we can connect into. And this uh, experience, although, of course, it was unique because it's the first time that God is dealing with a people rather than an individual, 
that we see the purposes of God being in shadow here, starting out as this is the mind of God, and this is the power of God, and this is the glory of God that is being seen in his actions. And the response is something that I think we have to take on board today. And although it happened many, many years ago, although it's happened to a nation, Israel, that might seem very foreign to us, the, the important connection is that they are the people of God. They were the people that God put his name to. As he told Moses, as we remember from uh, time and time again, when Moses went before Pharaoh, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. That was what God wanted. And then the hardness of Pharaoh's heart was there, was there for a purpose to show that the power of God goes against the power of Satan and they're coming together and they're coming together and the outcome is God is victorious. And that is something that we have to get a very clear picture of when we're looking at this. This is not just a historical event that was amazing and uh, it's well worth reading to get a thrill out of. This is dealing with the God who has purpose in everything that he does. And this is a shadow of what's going to come in the future. And this is something that when the people of Israel saw what was happening and saw the power of God, that they responded in the way they did. That's exactly how we, as the people of God today, need to respond to the things that we are reading in Scripture. Not about just this. This is just the beginnings, the shadows. Let's turn to Revelation 15, just to give a little bit of a, what I'm trying to get to. <clears throat> There's reference in Revelation 15 to this very event. <clears throat> Verse 1 of Revelation 15. I saw in heaven another great and marvellous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues last, because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his name. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvellous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord? and bring glory to your name. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. There's reference there to two songs. One, the Song of Moses, which is the one that we've just read in Exodus 15, and also the Song of the Lamb, which, for the sake of time, I won't read it, but it's referring to Revelation 5. And it's the song that was sung if you remember the, the, the story where um, John was taken in the spirit into heaven and he saw the lamb looking as though he'd been slain. 
and he came forward to take the scroll from him who sat on the throne and the heavens resounded with the song of the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Both of these are referred to in Revelation 15. So when we go back to the song of Moses, then what is it pointing us to? It's pointing us to Revelation 15 when at the time of the end of the tribulation, and that is the time when we Christians will have been raptured, to use the word. We will have gone to heaven. The dead in Christ rise first, then we who are alive will be caught up to be with him forever. After that comes a time of seven years, which is called the tribulation, a time of terror and terrible things on this earth. And that's what we're getting in 15, and it's referred to in very um, graphic language of how God uh, judges the world. And in that, it's you're getting to the point where the people are being told to sing the song of Moses. This is those who are being redeemed uh, at that time. The church, the body, will have gone. But there'll be others who will be saved. There'll be the remnant of Israel. There will be some righteous. There will be some who will be saved from that. And what they are going to be witnessing is the power of God against Satan. And this is what is the shadow of what we are seeing in Exodus 15. Because if you take the whole picture of it all, is that this power um, of Pharaoh is like Satan. And he's got... Uh, God's people under his power and he will not let them go and God is attacking God is using his power and God is saying release them and uh, you get the end result being that the enemies are decimated and the people of God are left and they are free they are free from the bondage of sin God's going to deal with sin. He's going to deal with it in a remarkable way. He's going to deal with this world and Satan and all the people who are followers of Satan, who are against God, who hate God, who have resisted God. That's all going to be dealt with in the future. And this is a shadow of it. So when you go through the song, you wonder sometimes, how much did they actually know? <laughs> um, were they just looking at it purely from their own experience, which is probably the safest thing to look at. Um, maybe Moses had got more of an insight into God's future purposes, but the people of Israel would have just looked at it purely from their own salvation. But they were free, and they were free, and it was caused by the blood of the Lamb. Now, the part where the Passover comes in, and of course, the, the lamb, if you know, remember the, the, the story about that, the lamb that's taken, it's killed, it's blood that's put on the doorposts and the lentils, the animal is cooked and it's eaten, and the people of God are saved from the avenging angel because of the blood that's been shed and because of their sustenance that's given to them by the lamb, that they go out in that power and they are saved by the, the Lamb. And of course, that's where the picture that John saw 
of the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven, looking like a lamb that has been slain. And he is the one that's worthy. He is the one, the only one, who can go to the scroll which is in God's hands and take it. And he's worthy and all of heaven rejoice with that, that he is the one who has saved mankind. He is the one who has, as we've been thinking this morning, bore our sins on his body at Calvary. And he looks, as John looked, like a lamb that had been slain. He looked like somebody who had bled and died. He looked like the lamb. He is the lamb. And that song that came out there is again, it's a song of victory. It's a a song of rejoicing. Because Jesus Christ is the Lamb and he's opened up the way. So the response from the people of Israel is the same. It should be in our hearts that when we come together to worship, when we come together to talk about our future, that we are the same. We are like the people of Israel standing on the Red Sea and we are looking and we are seeing our enemies destroyed. Now, the fact that in Revelation 15, it's actually talking about the destruction before it happened. (laughs) You get a lot of that in the scripture, of course, when it's just purely emphasizing that what God says will happen. So even although in time, as we know it, it hasn't actually happened, there is no doubt it's going to happen because God said so. And so they were rejoicing over something that hadn't happened yet. But they had seen the power of God and they knew that his power would be seen and that that he would be victorious. And therefore, it was relevant and significant that they sang the song when they did, even although it hadn't fully completed yet. You get a little bit of that here at the edge of the Red Sea because they were free. They were free from their bondage and that is a rejoicing and it's a little bit like us in our salvation that we should never forget where we could have been and what could have happened to us and what should have happened to us if it hadn't been for the Lamb. And that is something that we should always have before us when we come together on a Lord's Day morning in worship. That should be uppermost in our mind. I think we're coming here to say thank you to God, to rejoice in our salvation because we have been purchased. God purchased the people of Israel. They belonged to the Egyptians. They were slaves of the Egyptians. And God bought them. It cost, and that was where the picture of the lamb. It's exactly the same with us. We are born sinners. We belong to Satan. And he is in control. And if we hadn't been purchased, then we would have remained that way. And we would have gone into a lost eternity, which is expressions that are used, which you can read about in Scripture, and it's horrific. It can, it's frightening. And maybe it's something that we should all... On a regular basis, maybe, just keep going back and thinking, that's what I was saved from. The people of Israel, it was very real to them. 
when they looked over the Red Sea, it was only days, weeks, months earlier that they were slaves. They, they could no future. But what, what the, the teaching there was, and that's why we're, I read back in chapter 14, was that what God said through Moses to the people is stand still and see. And the reason he's saying stand still is because there's nothing you can do. You are absolutely powerless. Just look at my power. And that's what I want you to do, is to focus on the power of God. And that's exactly what our salvation is all about. You and I did nothing at all to be saved. You and I have done nothing. We are not worthy of it. But we were called. And that's, again, something that you want to express your thanks for, surely. And to realise what you've been called out of. That the slavery of sin is not just something you should pass over with a few words in your mouth. What did that mean, the slavery of sin? This is just a shadow of what the, the people, the Hebrews, suffered at the hands of the Egyptians. That's just physical slavery. What we were saved from was eternal slavery and eternal pain and suffering because of sin. Nothing we could do about it. You were born like that. I was born like that. I could not get out of it myself. But God sent the lamb. And he was slain. And he opened up the way. And that just makes you want to rejoice. I like the song of Moses. I need to go on a little bit. I, I thought it was just important to just try and get that flavour of the importance of the song. And when, when you start going into the words of the song, then there's a lot of depth in there as well, and I've, I haven't got enough time to try and go through it. You know, when I first picked this subject up, I thought, this won't take long, I'll maybe do it in a, a shorter time. But then, like a lot of things in scripture, you read it and you think, my goodness, there's over here, <laughs> could do a series on this. <clears throat> this is again, it's so full, and it's it. The importance is there for us, and it, as I say, let's not just look at it as a historical event, but it's a the mind of God dealing with the people of God, and that's been transposed today into a spiritual people, and that's us, and therefore it's very relevant. When God's dealing with a physical people, Israel, it's not just a historical event. It's a shadow of what's happening now. And as we've just read in Revelation 15, it's a shadow of what's going to happen. When it says in the beginning, I will sing to the Lord, for he is greatly exalted. It also goes on to say in verse 11, Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? One of the things I think we have to try and appreciate with the people of Israel was that they were for 400 years subjected to um, false gods. And although they knew from their the history and the passing down of um, information through their lineage, 
through the, the tribes or the, the sons of Jacob and through their offspring, uh, they, they would always have been taught that there was one true God. And God always revealed himself to Moses as a God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Uh, and that was to really partly um, to um, differentiate himself from the other gods. Egypt had loads of gods. They had got, the Nile was a god. And snakes were gods. If you look even at some of the, the stuff you can see in uh, museums today, you see that a lot of the pharaohs were buried with um, picture or um, mementos of, of snakes of, that were made into headgear and such like. So when Aaron's rod became a snake and, uh, and God said to him, to, sorry, to Moses, Moses' rod became a snake and he said to him, pick it up and it became a rod again. It was a symbol of satanic power in the, per the snake and the power of God in the rod and the two were coming together and that's what all the plagues were about they were all battles against the true God and the power of this world Satan and th this is what it was leading to is that when they came to the side of the Red Sea they recognized if they hadn't recognized it before that God was the God of gods. And they were just looking at all, the, all these other gods um, that they would sometimes flip between because maybe this God wasn't working or uh, they, they worshipped the God of the Nile and one day the Nile didn't do what it was supposed to do and so therefore they switched to another God. What they had seen just elevated God way, way above. This was... This was different. And what they saw was a true God who was the creator of all things. And they were just, they were expressing it in this way as the God of gods. We should not just mock that too much because there are gods in this world today. They might not be as basic as we might want to term them as the Egyptians had, where they were snakes and images and bowed down to them and things like that. There are God, Satan has gods in this world and a god is somebody or something that commands your attention and detracts you away from the things of God. So for us to be worshipping God as the God above all gods <laughs> uh, is just the same thing. That we are recognising that that can come into our lives as well. It's something we should be aware of, that the, you and I need to be looking at what it is that takes our attention, what is it that demands our time, and then ask ourselves the question, is that anything to do with God? And if it hasn't, then it's a God that needs to be put aside, because we need to give him the prominence. He is God. He is supreme. We should never forget who is like you among the gods. And then verse 11 says, Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. I think it's lovely just to even just 
categorise it like that, the three things, that he is holy. And that means he is perfect. That means he is pure. And he is majestic in that sense. Because all other things that we want to compare God with just fade when you look at that. That he is absolutely perfect. We need to trust him more. And what the people of Israel were starting out with was having seen his awesomeness and realised that he is actually holy and that everything he does is right. And whilst he doesn't, I I don't believe, um, chastise us for questioning him, he wants us to eventually trust him. And he wants us to submit to him. And whilst he doesn't always do, in fact, he hardly ever does what we want him to do. (laughs) Because our thoughts are sinful and our thoughts are not holy. And when we're asking him to do something that we think is obviously the right thing to do, and it doesn't happen and he does something different, is to be able to submit and say, yeah, but you're holy, I'm not. And my righteousness comes from Christ, not of myself. So submit. He's awesome. He's awesome in glory. Or he's awesome in the praises. He is awesome in adoration and thanksgiving. That's why, you know, worship is so important. Because that... It's a, a, that earthly expression of what we think about God is important to God. Because his desire, as it's seen here in the people standing by the Red Sea, was to get them apart, get them out of their slavery, get them out of all their bondage and their suffering, and just get to know me, to appreciate me, and to... And if they could just do that, God's thinking surely was, then they'll be mine. Then they'll belong to me. Then they will trust me. And I will show them my glory. And they will have a a great life. It's no different today. When we struggle, when we suffer, when we have difficulties, these things are caused by sin. When we are rejoicing in God, that is him revealing himself to us in our our life. When we have a great time in worship, how do you feel? Sometimes often you come out of remembrances, you come out of prayer meetings, when you've been before the Lord and you feel lifted, you feel alive, you feel, isn't God great? And then you have to go home and switch your telly on and listen to a lot of dribble. Listen to lies, fake news. Listen to programs that are full of filth and sin and degradation. And you're back down and you're suffering again. And you've got the weights of the world on top of you again. And it's great to think, when do we get back again? 
the children of Israel, as we're going to learn as we go follow them through the wilderness, had a lot to learn, and we are no different. <laughs> we have a lot to learn. It didn't take very long for this song of Moses to be cast aside. And then thinking, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. What are you going to do about it, God? This can't be right. Why did you bring it out of Egypt? At least we had food there. That's what we're like. And God is a patient, gracious God. And he just draws us back. Come to me. I'll supply all your needs. We will have difficulties in this world. But remember, I have redeemed you. You're mine. And that's not going to change. Whether in life or in death. The death is only of the body. It's the spirit we're worried about. The spirit lives forever. And now belong to God. You were purchased. And he's just in closing. I just want to pick up on this. He said he was guiding them. He was guiding them through the wilderness. Where was he wanting to take them? He was wanting to take them. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. This is verse 17. The place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, your hands established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. What you're seeing here and what they are getting insight to was that the enemies of the people of Israel, the people of God, were quaking in their shoes because the people of Canaan, the Moabites and the Philistines had all heard about this. They had seen the power of God and they knew the people of Israel were heading for there because that was the land that God had chosen. And these people knew that as well. Satan knows exactly what God wants, that he wants a people who have been taken out of slavery and have been planted as his, where worship, true worship, collective worship, will be given to God, and God will be glorified, and God will be exalted by it. And Satan is out to destroy that as best he can. And he's very good at it. And what you're seeing here is that the enemies were preparing as they were frightened. And as we will see later on, they continued to attack the people of God. But what had been revealed to the people of Israel is that that's where you're heading. That's where God has put his name. And that's where you're going. That's your inheritance. And that is the same that we have been saved for a purpose. We have been brought out of slavery, out of the bondage of sin. We are now belonging to God and he has a purpose for us. And that purpose is just the same, is that you will, until you will pass by your enemies. That's what it says in verse 16, that these people, the power of um, the satanic power, these people are going to be like stones. You'll walk past them because that's the purposes of God. And you will walk into the place which is referred to here as the mountain of God. Because that's where God is. And that's where God wants us to be where he is. Because 
Why do you want to worship God anywhere else? You want to find out where God is and go there and worship. And that is what he's saying to the people of Israel here. And he talks about that he would plant them. He would plant them in the mountain. So it's a, a plant means watering and growth. And it would be in the place where God decided. And that's the purposes for each one of us. Again, it's the same as the people of Israel. That you are bought with a price. You are planted for a purpose to grow and to provide fruit. That is God's will for us today. Where the Lord reigns. Just want to just leave you with that thought. Is that um, as we go, we go on. I want you always to have in your mind. And it's important to me as well. Is to constantly ask yourself. Where is it that God wants me? Where does God reign? There's too many people questioning these things. And it's not, nothing wrong with questioning it. But actually maybe coming to a decision that well we don't know so therefore we'll pretty much do what we like the answers are in the word of god the answers and here you're just seeing a little shadow of it but the word of god is where you will find the answers it's where you will find god's purposes and if you're in doubt as to what god's purposes are then like the israelites um, god will continue to feed will continue to show if you're prepared to open up your ears, your mind, your heart, and to listen in order that we can find out the purposes of God and be able to respond to them. Shall we pray?